black Christmas without you. Welcome to the Disenfranchised Podcast, where that podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy, and joining me, as always, a fat voyeur that watches you all year long to make sure you live up to his standards of decency before breaking into your house, it's Tucker. Hey, Tucker. Hi, Stephen. How's it going? Not bad. How are you, buddy? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. To answer the question I posed before, it is still snowing. Okay. Glad not. So it's so it, it's it's not only Christmas in your heart, but it's Christmas outside your window as well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's snowing here yet. So it's too bad for you. Yeah. Unfortunately, Brett has been locked in the attic and we don't know where the key is. So at some point we'll get him down. But until then, we are joined by a very special guest. Very excited to have her on. Been wanting to have her on for a while. And we 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 made it work. The stars aligned. Uh, senior contributor to Ghouls Magazine. And you might know her from The Pod and The Pendulum as well. Please welcome to the show, Ariel Powers Shab. Ari, how are you? I'm doing super great. I brought my tray of uh, skin that I baked to look like Christmas cookies to share with you guys to this oh, recording. And yeah, that, so we can just like mother used to taste. So we can let's just pour have ourselves a, lovely... a nice big glass of milk and enjoy those while we wait yes. for the police to arrive. <laughs> yes. Right on. And so continuing with our Blackest Christmas miniseries this month, last week you heard us talk about the original 1974 Black Christmas. And this week, as promised, we are here to talk about the first remake from 2006. It's Black Christmas, sometimes rendered Black Xmas, starring Katie Cassidy, Michelle Trachtenberg, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Lacey Chabert, Kristen Cloak, Andrea Martin, Crystal Lowe, Oliver Hudson, Karen Conoval, and directed by Glenn Morgan, who also wrote the script. What a cast. What a picture. Seriously, what a cast. Also, what a Final Destination crossover. Yes. Yeah. Tucker was having having himself a Final Destination moment as he was yep. watching this one today. I did. I was like, hey, it's that teacher gal. I know that lady. And she is the wife leaving of her, director leaving Glenn Morgan. her coffee on the computer monitor. Rookie move. Who does that? That is. And Mary Elizabeth Winstead is in Final Destination 3. And so is Young K. Crystal Lowe. She's one of the Ashleys in the tanning bed. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. What a, what a, I mean, yeah, the cast on this one is, like, this is like a veritable who's who of like early 2000s, like young starlets in yes. this movie. Um, like Party of Fives, Lacey Chabert is in there. Uh, I'm sorry, Lost in Spaces, Lacey Chabert. I'm sorry, Family Guys, Lacey. I'm sorry, Hallmark Movie Mainstay, Lacey Chabert is in there. there like, um, you've got uh, Buffy's Michelle Trachtenberg. I'm sorry, Harriet the Spies, Michelle Trachtenberg. Um, like just an absolute banger stat cast. And then of course the great Andrea Martin. Oh, we yeah. stan a legend in andrea martin god i love her so much she's great and of she's all the people to pull from the original cast i'm so glad it was andrea martin she's hilarious her hair lost a little volume over the years which just, is disappointing just but because i like the poofy look in the first one it's it's mm -hmm. it's real cool it's it's very uh it's, it looks good i, like I love lot. that she plays a character named phil too like i just i think that is just perfection in the original mm. and then of course here she's just 
Mrs. Mac or Mrs. McHenry playing the. See, uh, when the I saw her, I was hoping this was a Sue Snell situation, um, but she's not the same character. Because no. at first I was like, "Oh, it's that gal." Is this like kind of a sequel too? But no, no, no. But I mean, well, no, because that character totally bites it in the original yeah. too. So, but anybody can come back in a horror movie. I mean, that's true. That is true. That's kind of what makes horror movies special. Um, horror movies and comic books. That's it. No Nobody's one stays really dead. dead, except Uncle Ben and the Fast and the Furious franchise as well. That, very oh, true. Yeah. <laughs> yes. How many times they brought back Michelle Rodriguez in that one? Jeez, Louise. That's my <laughs> comic book series. You know what? I I have not seen the last two, but I need to get caught up. Uh, I thought you about do. doing it a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, I'm not in the mood for that right now. Let's watch a documentary about horrible people doing terrible things. Um, I don't know why that's my go-to, but it is. It, it is it for is. a lot of people. Those those docos make a lot of money or mm-hmm. like get a lot of viewers. So that's yeah. that's why they keep pumping them out because people yeah. sick sick depraved people like me keep watching them. Um, but we are here to talk about Black Christmas 2006. Now Ari. When I floated in the Pod and Pendulum group chat, um, hey, anyone want to come on for a Black Christmas movie? I just was thinking everyone was, would jump in on the first one. Nobody really wanted the first one. But <laughs> you immediately jumped in with Ooh Ooh Mimi 2006. And I thought, why on earth would Ari pick the 2006 one? And I got two minutes into this movie and I went, oh, okay. No, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys know... 2000s horror it's my wheelhouse it's my vacation home it's my pool house it's my rental property it's my boathouse the 2000s is where i live in the nasty mucky muck with the edge lords so john kramer with the backwards hat is your pool boy oh yeah i mean i should be so lucky right um yeah i i think this movie is so much fun i love the original and i like the 2019 version too um but I think not, first of all, a lot of people haven't seen the 2006 version. And I also think it deserves, you know, more people should like it is my hope. So I'm like, okay, if I talk about this movie, maybe I'll find more people who like it with me. I was, And that's that's really part of the reason why we talk about this stuff. Sometimes we really yeah. like it. And sometimes we're like, tell us why this is good. And mm-hmm. sometimes we're, we love it. And we're like, please, someone find this and tell me I'm not wrong. Right, um, right. And and sometimes we all disagree with each other and we end up having a knockdown drag out. I don't think that's going to happen here. Uh, not that I think Tucker and I are in, as in love with this one as you are, but like, I think we all respect and love each other enough to come to a consensus. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I will be very honest with you. The, the torture gore stuff is not my thing. That's um, fine. Not, not my wheelhouse. Usually like I, when you co-hosted the collector series with Mike on Pod and Pendulum, mm-hmm. I was I was listening to those episodes without seeing those movies. And about halfway through the first episode, I go, oh, OK, so this is just not for me. This mm-hmm. is just a franchise. It's just not for me then. OK, I know that now and I can move on with my life knowing that the collector, not a franchise for me. That's OK. Um, but then you are on the Saw franchise, a franchise I was fully out on. I was like, there's no way that I'm ever going to engage with the Saw franchise. And just the way that you and Mike were talking about it and the guests that you had on, I was like, fuck, I'm going to have to watch all the Saw movies. And I did. Yes. And I have you to thank for that. And I'm not going to say it's like my favorite franchise ever, like our absent co-host Brett Wright would. Brett, come down from the attic, buddy. Um, 
but he like he he loves that franchise yeah. and so which is why i'm really bummed that he we can't find the key to the attic because i know he would love to probably just geek out with you about that for a little while but maybe he'll crawl down the walls later we can hope yeah. we can really hope maybe punch through the wall yeah. too um but yeah no he so so yeah but i mean i i watched that all of those movies and saw saw x in theaters again based on the strength of you guys talking so knowing that you that this is kind of your wheelhouse again two minutes into this movie i'm like <laughs> everything has become clear to me now i absolutely <laughs> know why ari wanted to talk about this one yeah um i saw this one for so i so let's talk about like in terms of black christmas when did you first engage with the franchise when did you when did you see this one in particular like what's your history with all of it yeah, my history with the Black Christmas films is relatively short. I think I saw the first one, like the original, in like 2017 or 18. Mm. I was late to the party, but I loved it immediately. And I was like, wow, I can't believe I've never seen this. Like, this is great. Feminist masterpiece, et cetera, et cetera. And then I was like, well, I got, you know, everybody who loves the original hates the sequel, but it's. 06 and it's this awesome cast so I gotta find it um, and it's actually sort of hard to find a copy of to purchase I believe it's out that. of print so um, I, I probably watched it on Tubi or something like that shortly after but then I did go find a DVD to purchase because I, I love it I watch this movie a lot and then I saw the 2019 one in theaters when it came out and I like that one too so I like all the Black Christmases right on uh, Tucker, do you have you ever seen this movie before today? I have not seen it before today, but I do have a bit of a history with it. Because when oh. this movie came out on DVD, I worked at Suncoast Video. Mm. So, and I think the main thing that detracted me from seeing it, uh, outside of the fact that I hadn't seen the original at that time, uh, was that the the box art on the DVD is just not appealing. It doesn't make me want to watch whatever's inside. Is that the one with the close up of the face wrapped in uh, it's Christmas just, lights? And the lights and yeah, it's just really boring. And like, to me, I'm not saying that it's poorly done. Like good job. Graphic artist who did that. Like, I'm glad you got paid, but it's just not appealing to me. And so I never really gave it a second thought. If I hadn't worked at Suncoast and seen that so many times, I, it probably would have never, entered my mind between now and then but because that was one of the movies that came out then and we had just like so many copies of it right that uh cover kind of stuck in my mind uh but no i hadn't well i hadn't even watched the original until yesterday you know right right and this you're is, welcome so, for a that journey too. this yeah. month is a journey for me and i'm, I'm gonna beautiful. predict it you haven't seen the 2019 one either that we're gonna watch i next have week, so. not but i'm the most excited about it because it has the lowest rating mm. yeah i i won't i won't do that soapbox we're here to talk about 2006 yep 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 yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Look, if you want to, after we're done, if you want to record a separate thing, like a separate piece, we can drop it into the next week episode. It's fine. Uh, saying I'll, you guys, I'll, you'll see why the rating is low and why that's undeserved. I feel confident. Well, I'm I'm excited about I'm excited about low ratings because usually I'm I'm a person who can find something to like, absolutely, and something that most people do not like. Like yeah. half of my top five are classics, and the other half are movies that have like a two on IMDb. Yeah. I mean, hi, same. 
Yeah. <laughs> you are kindred. It's fine. Um, I watched this one for the first time. Like I mentioned last week, I just watched like most people trapped in the house during 2020, just watched a lot of movies and decided I was going to try to watch 25 Christmas movies in between December 1st and December 25th. And a nice. lot of those were horror movies. Um, Better Watch Out, I watched for the first time. Uh, Rare Exports, I watched for the first time. Ooh, that's a good one. That is. That's a wild one, man. That one's, that one's that's wild. Fun. I need to rewatch that one because I was kind of like, I you don't, do. What? <laughs> like you the whole time I'm just like, huh? <laughs> um, but I watched all three Black Christmases during that time because they were all streaming on one service or another. So I, I caught them all and um, I really loved the first one and didn't so much care for the remake. So I'm glad I'm getting a chance to kind of re-reckon with the remakes a little bit. Um, and uh, and yeah, so I watched this at the time and I rewatched it today. And um, man, it's brutal. This movie is brutal. Yeah, man. A lot of, a lot of eyeball stuff. And that's that, that I... So two things. One, like eye trauma is one of my, one of the the things that just makes me cringe the Mm -hmm, most. mm -hmm. And there's so much of it in this movie. Like everyone's eyes get ripped out at some point Mm -hmm. or another, which leads me to my second question. Do you think that's an oblique Bob Clark reference to a Christmas story? You'll shoot your eyes out and everyone's eyes get, get ripped out in one way or another. Well, because Dude, eyeballs that's... weren't part of the original. That wasn't even a thing in the original. Not at all. Well, so the most you see of Billy in the original is his eye through, like, you see that mm-hmm. several times. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that's what they were doing. But mm. the you sh- you'll you shoot your eye out. That's a good shout. I didn't think of that. I That, that occurred to me yesterday. Uh, when I when I made the connection between mm-hmm. the original Black Christmas and a Christmas story, yeah. and I it kind of I kind of sat on it, and I'm Maybe. like, I'm going to pull this out later. Uh, it's a tool that'll be useful to us. The eyeball, on. you're going to pull the eyeball out later, and I'm going to eat it. Yeah, you go, oh, yeah. I was going to say you got chomp it. I'm going to chomp, somebody, chomp, chomp. Somebody lied to me, man. I don't know if it's this movie or if it's Evil Dead Two, but like. When you pull out an eyeball, is there really that much like behind it? Because like an Evil Dead too, when they pop the eyeball out and it goes flying across the room into Homegirl's mouth, into Bobby Joe, into her mouth, um, <laughs> like it's a really short little stem on it, right? Mm-hmm. Like about like that, and I'm probably exaggerating, but in this movie, at the end, like he's pulling <laughs> that eyeball up, like he's. Ah. There's like so a magician much. pulling a scarf out of their mouth. Yes, yeah. yes. Right. Well, and you think about the eyegasm scene in Hostel, uh, you know, that's a normal sentence to say. And <laughs> that, We know what I, you're talking about. I actually don't. I've never seen Hostel, but yeah. Okay, oh, well, bad. Um, the it's eye stem your, is, is very long. Um, listeners, write in. Tell us. If yeah. you pulled an eyeball out, how long would the eye stem be? We'd love do to you- know. Do you have a medical degree? And if so, we'd like to hear from you. Uh, disenfranchpod at gmail.com or disenfranchpod on most social media platforms. Let us know. Because yeah. I want to know. I want to know who's right and who's wrong. Because to me, uh, though I was digging it, mm-hmm. it seemed a bit excessive. Nah. A movie like, from like 2006? Say, a bit <sighs> excessive? I don't believe just it. just keeps going. It's it like really from here to the floor. 
He's insane. planning to scale the building with just the eyeball string. Like, I would say, right. where does that attach? Like, down in your toe somewhere? Somewhere, yeah. <laughs> Wraps like, around a few times. Listen, so this I is, sure couldn't tell you. No, I, I have no idea. I would not, wouldn't even know where to start. Um, Black Christmas 20, uh, 2006. 2026. It's not even a year yet, Stephen. <laughs> uh, Black Christmas 2006. Greetings from the future. <laughs> future events like you know they bring in the future. Again. On the Patreon episode we just recorded, we did do some time travel, so... We did, and we're back. Um, (laughs) Hey, we made it. (laughs) What a long, strange trip it's been. (laughs) Um, But um, this this film is one of, like, a string of 2000s era, starting in 2003 with Marcus Nispel's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just a long string of remakes of classic horror films. some well-known, some not. And I think this movie mm, could have potentially helped other people find the original Black Christmas, which has kind of always been this cult object in mm-hmm. most people's memory. Uh, but for the fact that the marketing team kind of fucked this movie over, really, in, in a couple different ways. We can get into that later if you'd like. Um, but like, Ari, do you, uh, we've talked about them on this podcast. I know Mike uh, Snoonian has written extensively about... Um, early 2000s horror and how it's a response to like 9-11 and so that's why you get like the the horror of extremity with stuff like saw this uh, a lot of things like it i know this is kind of your wheelhouse what do you think about just the onslaught the glut if you will Mm -hmm. of remakes in this era that you love so much yeah so i think a few things are true um one is that filmmakers who the the original slashers that they grew up on are now old enough and established enough to make the remakes they want to make. Right. But they need to make them in a way that's going to make money, so they adapt them to the times. And while I, I definitely think 9-11 was part of this, um, you know, basically the whole decade of horror before we got the Babadook and things kind of started to change, mm-hmm. um, I also think it's a response to the 90s slashers that were so glossy and clean and pretty Mm. so horror responded to that by going how nasty can we get and at the same time english language horror was in conversation with the new french extremity which was happening at the same time and japanese gore wave and so around the world you've got directors like alexander aja doing high tension and then coming over here and doing the hills have eyes and p2 and so there's a there's some crossover there Also, I think um, the vibe, I I can't speak to the vibe of the world. I'm certainly not a historian. But uh, in America, specifically the United States, the 90s were quite a time of prosperity. We We felt we had won the world and we felt we had fixed our social problems. And then in the 2000s, it became very clear that that was no longer true. And so... I think one of the reasons 2000 ho- 2000s horror, English language horror gets so nasty is because we're kicking back against the, oh, we fixed all the bigotry in the 90s, guys. So we can use these words now because we know we don't mean them. We're just using them to shock people. Right. So I think like all that stuff happening at one time gave us this nasty, grimy decade 
of horror movies that I happen to love. And I don't even remember what your original question was, Stephen. I just kind of went on a tear there. No, that's uh, fine. So I was asking specifically about the remakes. Specifically about the oh, remakes. Oh, gosh. I'm yeah. so sorry. No, you're fine. Um, no, I, that was fascinating. No, I please just keep talking. Just okay. don't stop talking, please. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, yes. So the remakes. So they had to adapt to the time. And I... Also, horror audiences at the time were young enough to maybe have not seen the originals, which might be shocking to older horror fans to think about, but it's true. Like, teenagers who could pay to go to the movies in 2003 maybe hadn't seen the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, or if they did, it didn't connect with them. Right. Because the things that were going on in 74 when it was made aren't the things going on in 2003. And it seems quaint by comparison because it's influenced so many other things since, right? Well, I'd I'd also argue that uh, it wasn't as easy to just watch anything you wanted at any time then either. That's very true. Like now, a kid sees a remake and they're like, okay, I'm going to immediately find the original streaming somewhere and watch it. Back then, you had to, like, go to the library and get it or go find it at the store or rent it, you know? Have an older sibling or an older sibling's friend who could, like, show you the stuff that was too transgressive for your parents to let you watch. all that, Or Mm -hmm. that you were too young to rent from a blockbuster. Yeah. So you had these um, captive audiences that had never seen uh, The Hills Have Eyes or Tourist Trap. And... To them, it's an original story that you can present them with as far as they know. Mm -hmm. And you can make it a way that speaks to them by using how horror was at the time. So, And then, you know, one remake makes money. We're going to do that train for a while. So, I mean, that's kind of the Hollywood machine, which really we would not have this podcast if that weren't the case. Like Hollywood constantly trying to like point to a trend and say, let's milk this for all it's worth. Mm -hmm. We'll try to create a dozen franchises based on this one concept and only two of them hit. And all of a sudden we're left with like 20 YA adaptations that never got sequels. And we can talk about those forever (laughs) here. But yeah. So, I mean, do you have a favorite from that era? Is there like one in particular that really stands out to you as, as your favorite of the remake? Ooh, that's period? Black Christmas is up there for okay. sure. Um, but I also really love Sorority Row from 2009, if you guys have seen that. I haven't yet. It's on our list. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely try to have you back for that one. I would absolutely, absolutely love to talk about that movie because they really do set it up to have a sequel that it never got. So I think it's perfect for you guys. Um, And it's a remake of The House on Sorority Row from 80-something. Which I I think is also on our list as well. So, yeah. (laughs) I mean, they're both great movies. I just, I rewatched the 2009 Sorority Row like pretty much on repeat. Okay. So I love that one. Right on. Okay, yeah. I, I also I, love House of Wax. I like a lot of them. That's a good one too. A lot that's of another one shit on that movie, but House of Wax too. Mm. House of Wax rules. Mm. I've heard I good things it. about House of Wax. I love I, all those all those Dark Castle remakes. I think those actually started in the late nineties. Well, with the um, haunting. Yeah, with the haunting, uh, thirteen ghosts, House mm. on Haunted Hill, because mm-hmm. it originally was they were just it was Bob Zemeckis and some other dudes, and and they just wanted to make remakes of william castle movies because mm-hmm. that's love why william castle. the first like three or four are all just old castle movies and they kind of moved on to other stuff but yeah house of wax mm-hmm. is the shit sorry to mean to interrupt but house of wax ooh wee very good love that very, movie very yeah yeah and i think both of those are on our list too so we'll we'll cover all of that someday so. and though house of wax seemed strangely enough more of a you used 
talked about Tor's Trap there for a second seemed mm-hmm. like more of a remake of that than it did actual House of Wax. Yeah, so there are there's a movie called House of Wax that it sort of is similar to the plot. Like it, I think it's from the fifties, mm-hmm. and then Tourist Trap is what it is, and so they phenomenal the is what it is yes <laughs> the, door strap. the 2005 house of wax takes elements from both of those movies but it certainly has more in common with tourist trap than it does the movie that's originally titled house of wax mm-hmm. um i think that is me keeping it short <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, no, I, I, yeah. Feel free to say as much like, as you want. All right, nah, like, people can walk the wikis on that one if they want to know the 1950s House of Wax lore. I mean, look, we'll, we'll we can have you back for that one too. Like again, like just at any open 2000s invitation. Horror, anytime you do 2000s horror, I will just pop in and be like, "Hi, I'm ready to go." Hell yes, I'm gonna hold you to that. I am okay. absolutely going to lock you in on everything now. So okay. You, I noticed you, you guys have never covered Dead Silence from 2007. We actually have. When? Uh, that's an early one. We had uh, our friend Cat Scully was on that one. That's like in the 30s. That's an early. That's like a year year one. You better edit out me sounding stupid. I'm just kidding. I don't care. I swear <laughs> I searched for a Dead Silence episode for you. Uh, no, anyway, we absolutely did cover that one. Okay, um, well, that's a shame because I've never seen that. And I yeah, probably won't because I won't have to watch it for the podcast. Chuck you darn. Okay, it's well, episode thirty nine. I'm gonna drop the link in our in our chat so you can listen to it later. It's a good one too. Our friend our friend Cat Skelly. Came I just on I one. downloaded it. So oh, just right now. on. Yeah, hell yeah. Um. So, yeah. Anyway, is that the yeah, puppet one. Or... Yeah, the it puppet is the, one, right? the James Wan puppet. Yeah. 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 <laughs> James Wan, Lee Wan Allen, Charlie Clouser, my holy trinity. We're all holding our fingers to our lips right now, like yeah. the puppet. And, like it the works puppet well on, on an audio medium. Absolutely, yeah, we we're do very so visual. Vis- so many visual gags on the show. We don't even record the. Uh, we don't even record the video either. So yeah. it's it's, it's yeah. absolutely great. I blame myself. I do too. It's fine. All right. <laughs> uh, so we've been going for about twenty six minutes on this episode now. So I think now is as good a time as any to just dig into the plot of this movie with a little segment we call plot in 60 seconds. For those of you just listening, cause Ari's on the show. First of all, I don't blame you, but welcome. Uh, and second, this is the part of the show where we will uh, usually at the behest of either the uh, D six of destiny or the Canadian quarter of indifference uh, decide which of us will be recounting the full plot of the film. But since we have a guest and Ari has graciously agreed to do so, we sometimes like to kick it over to our guests who recount the entire plot of the film we are discussing in 60 seconds or less. And again, as I said, Ari has graciously accepted that challenge. And so I am going to go ahead and put 60 seconds on the clock right now. I will give you a 30 and a 10 second warning. Oh, for God's sake. Okay. I mean, I can, I can not, I can just hold up fingers if you would rather, but no, this is good. You got to okay. do it. All right. And then uh, I will go ahead and start the time whenever you begin your synopsis. All right, let's go. Three, two, one. 
A group of sorority sisters and their house mother are preparing to leave campus for winter break. Their sorority house happens to be the childhood home of psycho killer Billy Lenz, who is locked away in Clark Sanitarium. But because he wants to come home for Christmas, he breaks out and disappears into the blizzard. Meanwhile, Billy's sister slash daughter Agnes was released from her prison, and she's living in the walls of the sorority house. As the sisters are exchanging gifts, they start dying one by one in a gruesome fashion, lots of eyeball gore. Our final girl, Kelly, kills both Billy and Agnes in the final showdown at the hospital. Time. Oh, wow. you got like <laughs> 20, 25 under, seconds to spare. That time. is amazing. I mean, it's oh, yeah. a slasher. So it's kind of yeah. like, you Half know. the plot is the kills. Right. It, it really. Oh. Yeah. It's just how gory can we get with this thing? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Well done. Phenomenally oh, done. Thank you. Oh, Great job, Ari. I didn't think... find it to be overly gory. Did we watch the same movie? Like it was gory, but well, I guess I, I guess it depends on what you're comparing it to. Like if you're comparing mm-hmm. it to like Hostel or Audition, maybe not. But if you're comparing it, if to, I'm like, comparing it to the, the original, film, yes, yeah. it's very gory. But I'd say for the time, I don't want to say it's relatively tame, but it's about average. I would agree with that. Um, I think it tries to walk a line with the clean slasher aesthetic of the 90s and the the nastiness of the 2000s, and it doesn't quite know how to walk that line or or tip one way or the other. I I think the fact that they also kind of try really hard to stick with just like the interpersonal drama from the original as well. I don't know, maybe that makes me not think of it as gory because there are some gory parts, but like there's a lot of... A lot of stuff in between. Well, until the end, where everybody just right one after another. It's but there, not, for most of the film, you've got a big breathers between kills. It's not all about the gore. So I, I mean, it's not like wall to wall gore. But like when the gore happens, I feel I feel like it's pretty intense. And again, but again, again, that's coming from a guy who just does not care for the gore personally. We so, are talking about eating skin dipped in right. melts. And so, well, I mean, he cooked it. He did cook it. I guess that makes it all better. After he beat his mother to death with a rolling pin. Correct. Well, did you see what she had done, though? Yes. Yeah. Like, I'm not really I mad mean, at him. I'm mad at him for a lot of things, but not for that, not that honestly. Not that, no. <laughs> right. Not at all. Eat that's your kind Christmas of one of, cookies, Billy. You earned yeah, them. That's kind of one of those, like, I mean, who's the real monster here? And the answer is everyone. Everyone yeah. is the yeah. monster in this scenario. Like, yes. every, each one of, each member of the Lens family more monstrous than the previous member, really. And perhaps it's it's more accurate to describe this film as nasty than gory because mm. there's quite a bit of nastiness, especially in the Billy's childhood storyline that doesn't mm. necessarily amount to splattery gore, Correct. Um, but quite, quite nasty. So based on what I know of this film, Glenn Morgan is a, a kind of a protege of Bob Clark's. Um, like really looks up to respects, loves Bob Clark, loves the original black Christmas wants to do kind of, he, he'd made another uh, 2000s horror remake in Willard. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you that know Willard, the Crispin Glover film. Have you anybody else, anybody else Willard fan here? Just I know I've you. seen it. I don't remember what I felt about it. I never saw it's... it. I was excited to see it. And then I read a review and I was like, Oh, okay, I'm good. Um, no, it's not good, but it's fantastic. One of those. Okay. It's, it's, there's a lot of fun stuff in it. And it, they did reshoots, and Crispin Glover's hair is different, and it's really awkward. 
as it jumps back and forth. I don't know. Watch it. I recommend it to anyone who likes good movies and who likes bad movies. The thing I remember most about that movie is that the marketing campaign used the hell out of a bullet with butterfly wings. Um, well, <laughs> yeah. How are you going to miss up, pass that opportunity up? Come on, man. Like, I just I just remember that was all over the marketing. And I feel like this movie, that movie was marketed phenomenally well but that movie kind of tanks and so morgan comes into this one going if this one does badly i'm never going to direct another movie again and it that's true this movie didn't do well and he didn't end up directing another movie ever again um but he has like he comes into this movie like really wanting to honor bob clark while still doing and he has he has clark's blessing like clark is executive producer on this film clark is on set like kind of giving his approval like there's a, a shot in uh, one of the documentaries that came with the the DVD where he's, he introduces Clark to the cast on set and cast and crew. And Clark's like, I love everything that's going on here. This is really great. Like just giving his approval to everything going on. Um, and so, but he uses, cause we had talked last week when we were talking about the original that Clark had some backstory mm-hmm. for uh, Billy, but I don't think it was really well defined and so Morgan kind of took that extrapolated from that and kind of added some to it. And then apparently that wasn't dark enough. And so another executive producer on this film, Bob Weinstein got a hold of it. And, you know, yes, we have to invoke the terrible Weinsteins again on this fucking show. Um, but he gets a hold of it and basically, um, adds things like the essay and the incest angle and mm-hmm. like adds like gorier, grosser kills and more intense kills and things like that. It starts like doing what the Weinsteins do, reshoot, cut, edit, yeah. kind of murky the water a little bit. And so what it's Halloween see, six all over again, really? And so what we end up with is a very different from what Morgan's original film was. And I think if if we had gotten what Morgan originally wanted to do, I'd probably enjoy this film a lot more. But the things in this film that really kind of put me off felt, felt like they were all added by, I mean, he got Weinstein. Like that, yeah. that's really what, what it comes down to. And I feel like that's really unfortunate because I feel like there's the bones of something really incredible in here. And we just don't, we don't ever get to realize that because it was taken away. I agree with that. I'd love to see a director's cut because one of my big problems with this movie, though I did have a good time with this movie. I, I had fun with it and I'll probably watch it again at some point but that I felt that the cast was really, really wasted. Like I didn't feel like we spent enough time with any of them. I don't know who any of them are. Right. Like I have no idea. Like I know who they are, but I don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. And it it was weird that I got done watching it and both Michelle Trachtenberg and Mary Elizabeth Winstead, both actresses that I, I I really enjoy and pretty much everything that they're in. I, it, doesn't even occur to me that they're in this movie until I stop to think and be like, oh yeah, they're in this movie. Exactly. Yeah. Just because I think the, the meddling that was done with this film took a lot away from, from the characters, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm absolutely with you on that. Like the, like, I feel like the only character that really gets any kind of definition, I feel like it's fairly slim and you guys may disagree with me on this and that's, I feel free. Absolutely. Um, I feel like the only character that gets any definition is Kelly, who is our, our final girl. And even then I feel like it's still pretty, pretty flimsy. Like it's, it still doesn't mm. feel like there's a lot to that character beyond just, well, she's the hero in the horror movie. 
they do make sure they give everybody something, mm-hmm. but they don't give anybody a lot. Like Kelly's never had a big family and she's really into the sisterhood thing and she has she doesn't have a lot of money. And so like that's where she's coming from. Dana, her um she's like she's the one who says uh, that's Lacey Chabert's character. She's right. like I'm not the helpless little daddy girl these bitches make me out to be. Like she's clearly she's capable, she's independent. Um Michelle Trachtenberg throws out this thing about she's the true crime girly. Mm-hmm. She's like, this is what a serial killer is. This is what a spree killer is, actually. Right. And then she's the one who takes care of Lauren when Lauren gets too drunk. Lauren clearly can't handle the emotional weight of Christmas. And Mm-mm. a lot of people can't for a lot of different reasons. And so, right. like, Lauren gets too drunk and she says, you know, she doesn't have a good relationship with her sister. So, like, Everybody gets a little something, but it's it's not much. And that's, uh, yeah. And I feel like, compare, again, you can't help but compare a remake to the original. Like, it, you, right. you almost, it, it's almost made for the point of comparison. Mm-hmm. But, like, compared to the original where all of these characters, even, even with very little screen time, feel fairly fleshed out. Like, with, the, with maybe one or two exceptions, but, like, you know who, like, Jess has an entire story arc from start to beginning in that film um margot kidder's character barb has has a a role that she's playing and has those interactions that really kind of help to define her and make you as an audience member like really connect and i feel like this movie is so anxious and so ready to get to the hardcore stuff is so ready to get to the gore and the guts and the and, and the nastiness as it were that we kind of lose some of the characterization i mean that feels like a weinstein problem more than a more than a Glenn Morgan problem. Like I would love to read his original script. I would love to hashtag release the Morgan cut on this one um, because I feel like again, there's a good movie in here somewhere. We just it got edited. It got basically left on the cutting room floor. Sadly, I think most slashers give you this much character development. The thing about the original ni- uh, 1974 Black Christmas, if that is the first slasher, slashers didn't exist yet. And so it didn't, you know how right. like the first of a thing isn't really the thing that genre later becomes. Yeah. Um. So I feel like it's not just a Black Christmas 2006 thing. It's like a whole generation of slashers where like, here's a bunch of people. You don't really need to get to know them because they're here to be killed. Whereas in Black Christmas, it wasn't all about the kills yet. And there aren't that many on screen deaths in the original. Right. And I guess I, I, and I, I mean, maybe that's why I'm not generally a huge fan of slashers outside of like mm-hmm. maybe the scream franchise, which is, which does again, something else. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think the reason I like that is that it front loads and, and, and gives you the characterization that you don't get in most slashers. Whereas slashers kind of become starting with Halloween and then Friday the 13th and then nightmare on Elm street become about the killer and the kills. Mm-hmm. Um, like I like the ones that focus on the victims and on the actual characters. Like you're not rooting for these people to die. Like you, in order for there to be any kind of tension at all, you have to want these people to live. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's what I like about scream. That's what I like. One of the things I like about the original black Christmas too. Mm -hmm. So I guess that that's something that has kind of always put me off about slashers. Um, And I've never really, I've, I've watched a lot of them, but they haven't really resonated with me to that degree. So so, I mean, and, and again, this is just a matter of taste, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But but for me, that's kind of where I where I tend to come to the table on these. 
Well, I think the both the original and this one, they make the killer. Uh, well, I guess in this one, they make him a little more sympathetic. Well, them uh, more sympathetic. But it's not really someone you want to root for. Mm-hmm. So you do kind of expect like you get all the backstory on the killers. Like you get all that backstory, which is it's cool to have that, I guess. Like almost a third of this movie is backstory on the killers like is is the lore that brett was so desperately craving from the original which is again mm-hmm. why get out of the attic well, and man. that's and that's what kind of throws me off about this one is I, I can't help but compare it to the original and the original is written almost like a stage play because it's very dialogue driven like right. you could do the original as a stage play very I, easily i, I kind of want to do that very now, easily <laughs> uh but this one is much more concerned with flashbacks and kills and Mm -hmm. setups and stuff which is great like i enjoy that about it but at the same time it's kind of um it's kind of a bad thing too because when you're comparing it to the original you just don't get as much uh meat and potatoes with the gals you know you don't get as much of a, a really anything with them outside of they exist and they have a few characteristics and we're gonna watch them die yeah, and I mean, like 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 Ari was saying, it that feels very much indebted to the slashers that would come after. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, Bob Clark didn't even consider Black Christmas a, a slasher. He's like, no, it's it's psychological horror, um, and he's right. But he mm-hmm. provides the the very bare bones framework of what the slasher would become mm-hmm. by virtue of the fact that he's 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 lending he, he's putting these pieces together in a way that hadn't really been done to that degree before in a way that a lot of people would see and want to emulate. And then the bones that he puts there morph into the house of the slasher, as it were. And those tropes that kind of carry out from there. So. I, I absolutely agree with you, Steven. Uh, <laughs> something I did really like about this movie though I really liked um, the the phone stuff mm-hmm. in this one yeah. where like because in the original you're just it's regular telephone stuff and this one you have primitive cell phones but cell phones and like you can tell who's calling like he's calling on this person's phone that person's phone. I really liked that because it kind of added yeah. a little bit of where's this person where are they I, I enjoyed that aspect of it quite a bit. Because how in 2006 do you achieve the calls are coming from inside the house and make it scary? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and But they do it. They, like, you know, I know this person is dead, but I'm receiving a call from them. That's terrifying. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I've seen this person's dead body, but here's the call. And I also love yeah. how everyone has a Christmas customized ringtone in yeah. this movie. Everyone's well, got the Christmas ringtone. And that ringtone. was true at the time, too. Yeah. Like... I remember picking out different ringtones. Now I keep my phone on silent all the time. But like back in the day, you did have ringtones and T9 texting. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. T9 texting. I loved she does the text and it's literally you at at sign question mark. And I'm like, (laughs) yes, because if you have to press 20 buttons just to get that, (laughs) that's all you're typing. I never in my life typed you at 
on a T9 keyboard, but I mean, same. Fair but I'm I'm also the anal retentive guy who's got to have like all the proper capitalization and spelling uh, and okay. punctuation and shit when I text. I'm a I'm a very anal retentive texter, but you know, listeners, if you don't know what T9 texting is, I can't help you. Go look it up. Like seriously, Google it. It's it, the rotary phone of texting. It really, really it is. is. It's it's the only reason that I still have a smartphone because I really want to get rid of that thing, but. I'm not willing to downgrade yeah. and push a button three times to to get where I want to be. Like God help That's you if exhausting. you exhausting. God help you if you want a Z, man, because you're, you're no. Like, yeah. And then if you, you guys... miss it on the first one, you got to go back. All oh, way back. Sometimes, so T9 predictive texting got interesting, where you would press a series of buttons and it would assume the words you wanted to type. You remember that? Yep. And I remember. I, it's, it's a stupid thing, but like I say the word mayhaps sometimes, like may, yeah. mayhaps. But if you try to type mayhaps into T9 texting, it gives you math apps. Oh. So I have a friend who regularly we say to each other math apps, and we know <laughs> what that means. Um, anyway, that's a T9 texting reference throwback for all you listeners 35 and above <laughs> yeah if you if if you if you understood what we were talking about in that last segment you might need to go see your chiropractor i'm just yeah, put your just, eye cream on absolutely your prostate go, check take a nap um all of that oh, maybe advice right it's time for I mean, colonoscopy guys i i do it a friend of mine posted a picture on Facebook the other day and it was like, how is this 15 years ago? And I'm like, why does my back hurt looking at this picture? Like <laughs> I can't with this, like, Oh God, I hate getting old. Um, and it's, it's just going to get worse. Um, whatever. Now just, I'm just like old man yelling at cloud now. Um, <laughs> but not the cloud storage. No, just a random cloud in the sky. Um, <laughs> God, what is wrong with me? Um, no, I That's love a loaded I, question. It really, I don't think we have time to unpack that right mm. now. The no, I loved the texting because again, the the, the calls coming from inside the house that had mm-hmm. been a well worn and established trope by this point. Yeah, and with the advent of cell phones, it becomes an impossible feat to pull because getting I, my parents would call me like if I didn't want to come out of my bedroom, like it was that was just kind of, or we'd text each other from across the house if we didn't want to get up. And like, caller I, ID was a given at this point absolutely so like, how do you make a scary phone call yeah so but they and nail it i think it, i think it's very well yeah i think it's very well handled in this mm-hmm. i think it it's very well done and it's it's one of those things where like you get into some movies and it's like well we have to make sure like the battery's about to die or something so they can't make a call like we have to incapacitate mm-hmm. the phones because the cell phone hurts the plot if, right. if they have access to cell phones, then this plot points A through G can't work. Right. And this integrates them in a way that I think few movies have done as seamlessly and makes them part of the horror, part of what makes the movie scary. In fact, my favorite of the alternate endings for this film, and we'll get into those soon, um, utilizes that part of this story, I think, absolutely beautifully. It's mm-hmm. the one I most would have wanted to see and the one that most sets this film up for a sequel. But we'll, again, we'll burn that bridge when we come to it. Um, no, I, I I really do like the the cell phone usage, not to belabor mm-hmm. that point, but yes. <laughs> Big fan. What else grabs us about this movie? What what else like speaks to us in, in a very interesting way about this? I one? really like the, the callback. I think 
to the original, the biggest callback is kind of the visual style mm-hmm. and the lighting for sure. Once again, a lot of reds, a lot of really mm-hmm. harsh reds. You know, everything is red. And this that was something I really. so Christmassy. It is. It's so Christmassy. And that's something I liked about the original too, is mm-hmm. how it just really committed to that color scheme and the way that it was lit and did not like deter from it at all. And this film does the same thing. Um, it's not quite as soft because it's probably mm-hmm. shot on digital, but it's still, I think it looks fantastic, this movie. I think my favorite is the lighting when Kyle is finally recounting the story of Billy Lenz mm-hmm. and he's mm-hmm. in that hallway and you've got the flashing, alternating red and green lights flashing. And yeah. so one second the film is, everything's red and then the next second everything's green and it just goes back and forth and it's disorienting. Mm-hmm. Glenn Morgan has a style like he's got a shooting style he's using like like he loves De Palma he's using a lot of De Palma style angles he's doing the split diopter shit which the original does as well but like he's using a lot of those tools and a lot of those tricks that it it kind of a bummer this movie doesn't do well because I think he's got enough of visual style that I think given the time and the ability to evolve his style he could be I think a really good director that we're still talking about as opposed to mm-hmm. the guy who directed two remakes in the in the 2000s well i think that's something that's really frustrating about this movie is that you can tell that it's well made you can tell that the people that are working on it the the cinematographer the director everybody that's involved in the cast they're all doing great yeah it's just after the fact somebody came in there and just tore it to shreds and threw it back however they saw fit which was i was gonna say would that the producers felt the same right yeah because yeah this movie gets kind of hacked to pieces like most of the kills i think the there were even some gorier kills that the the uh the studio dimension films insisted on that he just didn't put in like the the original death for melissa involved um her getting her face covered with a plastic bag her eye ripped out and eaten and then being dragged downstairs by her eye socket, by mm-hmm. her empty eye socket while she's still alive and screaming. Yeah. And it's the, the and I all- think you can get a version of the movie that has that in it. That mm-hmm. might be the Canadian version of the movie. Maybe it's definitely included on the deleted scenes. Okay. Uh, like maybe said, that's what I'm thinking of. I watched all the deleted scenes and alternate endings because they're all on YouTube. You can actually catch them all on YouTube too. Um, and that's where I caught them. And so like, it's, it's very interesting to see and different versions of Laura's death as well. Um, there's one where she just is laying in bed, sleeping, doesn't wake up and then just gets stabbed. And then I think mm-hmm. there's the other one that's actually in the movie where she feels something next to her. And I'm not sure what is meant to be happening behind her. Like all we see is like moving sheets. So we're kind of meant to, I guess, surmise or suppose and then she reaches for the 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 unicorn that was given to her, I think, by Eve, mm-hmm. and then stabs the bed, and there's nothing there. And then Agnes comes up from the top, grabs the unicorn, and kills her. Look very similar to Barb's kill from the first movie, the yeah. the death by unicorn statue. Um, but I think in the in the first one, it's just Agnes just jumps up and stabs her. Like she doesn't even get a chance to wake up; she's just dead. Um, so like you get kind of some of those alternate and then there were deaths that were just shot for the trailers that right. were never intended to be in the movie, which is another thing that this movie does that I think fans would become more angry about when movies like Rogue One, where they just shot stuff only for the trailer. 
Mm-hmm. Like there's a scene in the trailer where Mary Elizabeth Winstead is wrapped in Christmas lights and she's getting like pulled into a thresher, like uh, like the Child's Play remake, and is getting like like pulled in, and that doesn't show up anywhere in this movie, just for the trailer. Tucker, you're muted. It's not something like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre three trailer where like you know that it's its own separate thing. Like, you right. know, this is not footage from the movie. This is just something to get you excited about the movie. No, the trailer for this movie, they just put it in there with the rest of the shit. Like, oh, you're going to see this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, they cast yeah. a, a, an actress just for the trailer to, like, like a, a little girl to, like, fall through the ice and shit. Like, it, it just plot points that are not even in this movie at all, mm-hmm. but are engaging enough that people are like, oh, I want to see that and get them, get them into the theater. And Rogue One did something very similar where like he would just see a shot and be like, Ooh, let's film that. That's a good idea. And then just, it was part of the footage that they turned into the trailer company and they just cut it into the trailer. Like it, it's that kind of stuff. It just never intended to be in the movie. And that's really aggravating. Cause it feels like you're sold a bill of goods. And then you get there and you're like, I want a Mary Elizabeth Winstead wrapped in Christmas lights getting threshed. Damn it. And that's nowhere in this movie. Right. Like and I it forget. wouldn't make sense either. If it right. was right. exactly. And like her yeah. death, her, her like the one two punch of Heather's death and um Mrs. Mack's death is I think really might be my might be my favorite deaths in the movie, honestly. Yeah. If we if we okay. had to rank like favorite kills, because she's just scraping the window and you just see this blood splatter hit the mm-hmm. window very suddenly, and then she stumbles back into the garage door and gets impaled by a falling ice ice. Yeah, uh, poor Mrs. Mack. She dies by accident. Yeah, right. she didn't even get killed by the killer. Yeah. He was like, well, that's a freebie. (laughs) Don't have to worry about that anymore. I was really hoping, I know this was, I was, I was, uh, this was not going to happen, but I was really hoping that she would be the final girl. Subvert those expectations and let, Mm -hmm. let the old lady do some stuff, you know, not old. I mean, she's not old, but compared to the other people in this film, she's old. Right. We didn't subvert expectations in 2006. That's not what we did. No, that wasn't what we were about. Like, I think at that point, she was best known for playing Aunt Vula in My Big Fat Greek Wedding, which I think was only a couple years before this, if I'm not mistaken. She had a big stage career as well, I, I mean, think. She, she's she's an absolutely phenomenal actor. Like, from way back in, like, SCTV, she's an absolutely brilliant comedian. Like, one of the funniest people. And she was a big Broadway actress as well, but... Again, for most people, like back in 2002, mm-hmm. Mia Vardalos does My Big Fat Greek Wedding, and she's the breakout character. Like She's easily the funniest part of that movie, mm-hmm. without exaggeration. And in a very funny movie, she's absolutely the standout. Um, and so you see her in this, and you're like, oh, it's Aunt Vula. I'm glad she's working. And most people don't even know she's in the original. Like yeah. She barely knows she was in the original. Like I saw an interview with her. She's like, that's weird, because I haven't seen this movie in 30 years. So... <laughs> Like, I haven't thought about it, like, didn't even think about what the original character did, because honestly, I don't remember. <laughs> like, it was, is that all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, something else I appreciate that this movie does that, so we talked about, like, how they updated the phone horror to make it work for the times. And so, right. like, um, I think the feminist storyline in the original is really strong. Agreed. And it's not as strong in this one, but it is there, I think. Um, so obviously Kyle is piece of shit. And not only is he cheating on his girlfriend, but he's filming sex without his partner's consent. And he yep. apparently has some number of tapes 
Yeah, X tapes plus, plural. Yeah, some he number. He alludes to several tapes. Right. Yes, that a co-worker got a hold of, supposedly, which, mm-hmm. if true, is maybe somehow worse but like yeah who covers their ass with that story where it's like dude that's worse yeah that's way worse so i was like is he lying or telling the truth because that's really bad either way Um, disturbing yeah and so i think like the way the movie has kelly react to that i think that's really well done because Mm -hmm. immediately upon discovering that so first of all megan the woman in the video that got posted she's pissed off about it yeah obviously so Yes. And so when Kelly discovers it, she's immediately like, fuck you, Kyle. This Mm -hmm. is bullshit. And he says, I love this line. He's like, I wasn't selling drugs. I wasn't knocking over 7-Elevens. I didn't hurt anybody. And I'm like, Hmm. if that is your defense, you know your behavior was bad. But anyway. It's a piss poor um, defense at best. No, it's it's, he's deplorable. Yeah. Yeah. So Kyle sucks. Okay, but then all the women come together immediately without even realizing the full story, but they're like, Kelly's hurt, so we're all going to kick this asshole out of the house. And it's not as strong as the reproductive choice storyline in the original, but it is a good, like, sisterhood, this guy's a piece of shit and we don't have to put up with it. I don't Mm -hmm. know. It works for me. I think one of, for me, one of my favorite elements of the original is the, just the, the whole notion. And and most of the horror is found in this idea that there are these women who are very vulnerable and there is someone targeting them specifically. Mm -hmm. And there's a line that Margot Kidder has toward the beginning of the film where she's like, Oh, are you kidding? In the city, I get this twice a day when, when the moaners Mm -hmm. on the phone and you know, spewing you know the c word and all that like oh i get this twice a day. like i get this a couple times a day like this is nothing and it's just the idea that and particularly for someone who is male like myself um to be able to kind of identify with the horrors that women face on a daily basis and and even then like when Jess tells her boyfriend that she is pregnant and planning to get an abortion mm-hmm. and he gets very defensive and very like overly protective of her body and her choices and her autonomy like and then just kind of quietly goes off the deep end smashing his piano and all this other shit like we get the idea that men are dangerous and i think this tiptoes is definitely tiptoeing in that direction like this man really other than billy and the stepdad the only man in the movie really is like yes like this is disgusting like men mm-hmm. are pigs and I think one of the things that the original does very well is you don't know who the killer is. So it could be any man. Anybody. And I think by, by singling out and identifying Billy as the killer, we kind of lose that. And I think that, that notion, like it could be anyone and women don't know how to tell, I think has become even more prescient with time. And I, if I recall correctly, I think the 2019 remake does a lot more with that Mm -hmm. than, and again, going in a very different direction, but does more with that than this movie does. Mm-hmm. yes yeah that'll be a good discussion when you guys talk through that um and it's like yes in in the black christmas 2006 like the men are shit but also billy's mom is maybe the worst she is oh unequivocally yeah absolutely and, the worst you know first she and her like side piece commit murder on mm-hmm. billy's dad and like hide the body successfully, I guess, which I'm kind of like, how did you 
guys manage that. You're like half drunk all the time, but okay. Right. You um, do get the first of the two homages to the classic eye shot in the original in that scene mm-hmm. too, where they do the flashlight over and he's looking through the peephole. Yes. And then you get it yeah. again in the in the the crystal low shower scene, the Yankee crystal low shower scene. So, mm-hmm. which yes. I mean, of course you do get it there, but yeah. It's a good one though. It is. Yeah. So she commits murder and then she rapes her son and then she's, I mean, she's absolutely horrible. Although I did laugh when she answers the phone and she's like, Merry Christmas. Hey, Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's fantastic. That I like. I might do that this year. Please. Um, just answer the phone aggressively saying Merry Christmas for no reason. <laughs> God, I hope you do that. I, <laughs> I might do it. You must. Um, no, I no. His mom is absolutely deplorable. Like in in the grand tradition of like terrible horror moms, like yeah, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Voorhees. Like that's kind of again a trope in and of itself that this movie is kind of borrowing. Yes. And again, to what degree that was Bob? Cl- I do know in the original film a couple of things. Um, Agnes was initially supposed to be his half sister and not his daughter sister mm-hmm. uh, again that's how i know that was a that was a bob weinstein decision but secondly agnes was supposed to be the only killer in the mm. original script and mm, we that's right yes we get the double punch then because bob weinstein demanded that we bring billy back into the picture mm-hmm. which i think does kind of neuter it in a way and gives him neon yellow skin yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you've seen jaundice in an actual person, but it does not look like that. No, sure doesn't. Um, it doesn't look like the guy from Sin City. At I was going to say he looks yeah. like I forget. Was it Nicholas Holt who was who played that in in Sin City? I don't City? remember, but I remember. Do I want to say yellow. Nikki Cat? But I'm I'm I looking it up right wrong. now. I'm pulling that up. I'm gonna find that's... out. Oh, it is. Oh, oh Jessica Alba's okay. in that movie. That's right. Yeah, I duh. should rewatch that movie. It's been a while. I'm doing that thing that our our listeners love when I just look up information about movies in real time. And um, it's not enough time to talk about like something else and come back to it. No. They're shouting at so, their phones the name of this actor. They know it. Yeah. yeah they it know. feels like you're a ghost. When you know something your podcast hosts don't and you're shouting at your phone, I feel like maybe that's what being a ghost is like. Maybe. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Um, still looking that up, Steven. Still... I thought I had successfully padded enough time there with no. the ghost thing, but no. I think not. we're gonna have to move on to Rhode Island, neither a road nor an island, and we could discuss <laughs> that for a while. That's true. Also, yeah. I, is it the smallest state? It seems like it. It, I, it must be right. There's no you know, way I, to know. Nick Stall. Of, oh, they. I just. <laughs> I just. Oh, I said Nikki Cat, but I was thinking Nick Stall. Nick Stall from Way of the Gun mentioned and, two podcasts ago. And Carnival, one of uh, Brett and yeah, I's yeah, yeah. Uh, favorite but, HBO shows. But yeah. But just a reminder, watch Way of the Gun, everybody. Go ahead and watch that. Uh, something that I thought uh, was... Ari is physically biting her tongue right now. <laughs> that is oh, amazing. What, what do you have to say about the Way of the Gun? Absolutely nothing. I wasn't going to admit that I'd never heard of it. So Okay, no, it's fine. It's not It's not a very common film. It was... I, there's so much stuff I haven't seen and I always get nervous to admit it. So it's the no, only non Tom okay. Cruise movie that Christopher McQuarrie has ever directed. Well, Fresh okay. off the usual suspects, that... like trying out his directing shoes stars, Benicio del Toro, Ryan Phillippe, Juliette Lewis, James motherfucking kind, 
Nikki Cat, Hey Diggs. I could go on. There's so many people in that movie. And, and it's all Saul, you had to say was McCorry. Okay. Chris McCorry, yeah. He writes and directs this one. So basically what Ari is saying oh, is you struck, you struck oil, yeah, quit digging. So there you yeah. go. Just just Good. inside your wheelhouse there. Boom. It's on the watch list. Hell yeah. Uh, let me know how you feel about that because I'm, I'm a big champion of that film. And I, I hope that you enjoy it. Okay. Um, I something will let that you I, know. Something that I really liked about this movie, uh, you're talking about since it's the 2000s, we don't subvert expectations. But something that really subverted my expectations in this, also harkening back to what you were saying about sisterhood, is when Homegirl started puking, Mm -hmm. like my initial reaction to that being that it was in the movie it was in was like, oh, this girl got poisoned. Like, this is going to be bad. But instead, it's just like this sweet little moment with her and Michelle Trachtenberg, you know, where they... That she helps her and it's sweet and it's it's kind of awesome because her character didn't really seem that warm before that moment. I mean, she didn't seem like a jerk or anything, but she was just kind of not the warmest of the group. So to see her kind of, you know, care for her friend like that, I thought was was really nice in this movie. Yeah. I liked that. I also, it's nice to get nice. that character into the shower, too. So, I mean, I guess. Yeah, I don't think you see anything, do you? I watched not it on much. Tubi. Does you, you that matter? You see her butt. Yeah, you see uh, her butt. Her in wrong turn too, you see her butt and her breasts. Hmm. She's in wrong turn too. Also, okay. wrong turn two fucking slaps. Everybody should watch oh, it. I don't. Yeah. I don't think I've even seen the first wrong turn. Would would I be like missing out on a lot if I or do I need to watch just all wrong turns? Uh, I can't recommend <laughs> that. Wrong um, turns, the hillbilly one, right? Yeah. Or am I yeah. think a joyride? I get those two mixed up all the time. Oh, this is this is my wheelhouse. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. So, Wrong Turn is the West Virginia hillbillies, cannibal hillbillies. Joyride is um, just a truck. Paul Walker. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Right. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And now Do you know there know. are three Joyride movies? I had no idea. Yeah. Oh. So. Is that the one with Eliza Dushku, or is that another one? That's Wrong Turn. That's wrong turn. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I knew she was in one series with in a, a white a... tank top. Hey. So uh, is there is there wasn't there a remake of Wrong Turn recently? Yes. A kind of a requel. Yeah. And somebody directed that, right? Somebody I feel like somebody definitely <laughs> somebody did. had to, right? Usually they credit with the unless it's that animated movie that came out a few years ago, there's usually a credited director on a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. No, I only say that because uh, this came up on a search recently of something I was looking for. Maybe it was just, it looks like this guy did a a segment on the new VHS. That's probably what I was looking up, the guy who directed it. (laughs) Okay. Bad tangent. Moving on. (laughs) Although I am trying to manifest us eventually doing wrong turn on the pot and the pendulum. I... I have a feeling that you're going to be able to convince Mike to make that happen. Maybe not yeah. next year, but maybe maybe the year after. Because it stick around. feels like it feels like we've got next year all all sewed up. Yes, but, we yeah. do. I'm just excited we're finally going to be doing Exorcist, honestly, because <laughs> I've been pushing Mike for that since I, I know, got that's, brought on. That's your favorite. I well, I love I it's the religious angle a, but also mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of Billy Friedkin. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I want to talk about all the demon possession religious stuff, but then I also just want to, like, dig into, like, I have within reaching distance of my microphone right now, 
my copy of the Friedkin connection, just because I love Billy Friedkin, like one of my favorite directors, RIP gone too soon. I want to hear you and Brian talk about the exorcist. I, I also want that to happen. (laughs) And I, and I finally, like, it's going to take another year, but I feel like we're going to get there. We finally manifested it. So yeah. It, coming soon to a pod and pendulum near you not this <laughs> podcast we're talking about a completely different podcast now but yeah no i think like i said i think if anyone can convince mike to do that ari it's you well one day i mean you did convince him to do the one-two punch of collector and saw in a year so yeah i don't know there must have been a gas leak in his house i don't know how he let that slip through he just he has that much respect for you ari is what it is because no. i i remember no a one day tell when- him the truth <laughs> I remember a day when Mike said, I don't think we'll ever do Saw on this podcast. And um, and you made it happen. Never say so. never. Now, if you yeah. can convince him to do Hellraiser, I think that would be the big. If if we hit 50 bet. patrons, we were, we're doing Hellraiser. Oh. Yep. If we, we get 50 patrons. All the Hellraiser franchise. If we get 50 Pod in the Pendulum patrons, we're putting Hellraiser on the wheel. Okay, what are we up to now? Nice. I don't know. Okay. That's a great question. I may have to I may have to bite the bullet and become a pod and pendulum patron then. Uh-oh. Yeah, watch out for that. I don't know if you guys want this on your show. Feel of course, you know, edit whatever you want so out. I'm cutting all this out. Okay. Yeah. No, JK, I this is no, this is what Tucker, we do. Tucker wants to edit it as little as possible. So yeah. You know, that's fair. Yeah, you're just making me sound lazy, Stephen. That's not very nice. <laughs> no, In front editing of company, audio, Stephen it sucks. <laughs> editing a podcast sucks. Shout out! I mean, I don't have my own podcast, and one of the reasons is because I don't want to do the editing. So I just show up on other people's. <laughs> I get it. There you go. I get it. But you're you are a consummate podcast guest, Ari. I will well, say. Well, that's very nice. Like of you to this say. has I I have enjoyed every podcast I have ever been a part of with you. So oh, that's this. Really nice. Nice. This has Thank been you. no exception. So, like I said, consummate podcast. Of course, you're not really a guest on Pod and Pendulum. You're 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 part of the panel. You're one of the regular. I'm a squatter. So. <laughs> I mean, squatters' rights. <laughs> you and me both. But yeah, like we're just we're just part of the team that Mike drafted. Like Mark, Mike's just like, who are my all stars? And then just starts pulling people up out of the out of the out of the minor leagues. And don't know how I snuck in, but don't tell uh, him the truth. Nah, we all know why you're there. Like you just, you gave like the best info dump on 2000s horror earlier. And it like, I, I loved it. I loved every second of it. Are you kidding me? You're phenomenal. Well, stop complimenting me or I'm going to melt into a puddle right here. And then we won't have a guest, Steven. <laughs> oh, shoot. I and it will be your that. fault. I'm Crap. Midwestern. I can't take a compliment. No, I mean, you're, <laughs> we are, we are a trio of Midwesterners because Tucker yeah. and I are both from Indiana. So no, we go. 100% get it. get it. Yep. And we're gonna do the the long midwestern goodbye. I'm sure after this podcast episode is over, <laughs> it, you know it's not it's not over till we say well, I suppose. And slap your knees. Yeah, yep, slap that's... your knees as you stand up. Well, <laughs> I yeah. suppose I should be long. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, look, Black Christmas 2006. We've 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 all got some feelings on it. Uh, what else do we have to say about it? Last last call for for black christmas 2006 thoughts where are we starting what do you mean where are we starting and say who you're gonna start with and then we could go around no oh, just okay. open, but... open call open call let's go let's see we need a little more direction than that steven 
Nope. I'll start. So um, <laughs> I I know one of the things um, some people who are fans of the original don't like about the 2006 version is the backstory and the lore about Billy because they say it makes him less scary. And I get that. If what you like about the original Black Christmas is that we don't know a lot about the killer and that's very scary, I could totally get that. I love the original too. And I also love getting this I mean, it's an exposition dump at the beginning that doesn't make any sense. And it sort of is like Halloween resurrection where they're doing it in a hallway at a hospital. Um, (laughs) Right, right. But I just find it sort of cozy and enjoyable. And I like the timeline jumps and the telling of the different stories as we go. I like a final showdown in a hospital. I love any story about wall people. If you give me wall people, I am here for it so agnes living in the walls and in the attic and like making a nasty ass christmas display i think that's great so you know if you want a christmas this movie is aggressively christmassy so you can't say it's not a christmas root movie Mm -mm. if you want something kind of nasty this christmas please give this one a try yeah no i yeah i i would i would absolutely uh echo that sentiment like it's it is, it is, it is all of those things. Like it is, it is the nastiest Christmas movie maybe ever. Um, and it earns that title. It earns that distinction. Absolutely. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think the thing that keeps me from like really digging into this one is just the, is the nastiness of it, honestly. Yeah. Like, and and that's again, that, fair. That's not my aesthetic. Like even yeah. like, like the, and and I know that I, and again, I know that that's very much your aesthetic and I know mm-hmm. on this one, you and I don't necessarily see eye to eye, but we don't have that's to. That's okay. Yeah. We, again, we got that love and respect for each other that we don't have yes. to agree on everything, but like, I, I don't know. It just, it, I, the thing I like about the original, apart from the ambiguity is just how latently creepy the whole thing is. Yeah. And I think the, the ambiguity definitely plays into that, like that you don't know who mm-hmm. this person is. Um, I don't know that the mystery angle of it all is, is as, is as successful last week, Brett was talking about how, you know, the mystery of it kind of plays with um, like, he, cause he's trying to solve the mystery and then it turns out, Oh, surprise, you can't solve this mystery. Cause it, it's not meant to be solved. There is no solution to this mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think for me kind of increases just like that rock in the pit of your stomach kind yeah. of feeling that few horror movies genuinely give me the way that the original black Christmas does. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie kind of sacrifices a lot of that ambiguity for, and a lot of that subtlety for just the very obvious, Hey, this is what we are. And this is what we're doing. And I'm, I, I commend it for that is just not my thing. That's just yeah, not, that that's just sense. not the tea I like to sip. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, that's more like a, I'm, I'm more of a lopsang guy. That's more of a, kind of like a, an herbal mint kind of thing. So, which I mean, doesn't really make sense in the analogy, but go with me. Um, I yeah, wasn't going to question it. I don't know shit about tea. So lopsang's like a, like a very smoky kind of tea. So uh, it would oh. be, it would be the kind of tea most people would find off putting, but me, the kind of weirdo that I am, the kind of is flavors it, that I love. Is it peaty like scotch? Yes. Oh, I'm going to have to write this down. I thought I, had, I would like it. I got a, uh, my mom got me like a cocktail, a couple of cocktail kits for um, my birthday this past year. And one of them was, it was called a smokehouse lemonade. And you take this little packet and you pour it into half of a bottle of um, bourbon 
and just kind of let it sit there. And then you pour out the the tea leaves and everything. And one of the main ingredients was lapsang. And it had this very smoky, almost peaty kind of flavor that it lent to the um kind of lent to the uh the bourbon and i i really liked it a lot oh my god i want that immediately i, I so bourbon is my favorite liquor and a Same. smoky peaty bourbon sounds really interesting to me i will try to find the uh recipe yeah. and i will message text you either me that on, or whatever yeah, yeah. I'll, 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 t9 I'll text that. it to me uh, that's the only way i text from now on yeah <laughs> no you I, at you at question mark <laughs> uh tucker final thoughts what did, what did I miss? What did you guys talk about while I was gone? Anything exciting? Uh, just, t- you know, talked about how the, uh, you know, ultimately the aesthetic on this thing um, compared to the original, just not my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. And that's how we got into the, the, the tea talk there. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I, I kind of, I had mixed feelings about this movie because like uh, a lot like uh, Book of Shadows, which we mentioned, I think on the Patreon episode, um, or maybe it was on this episode. It all blurs together. No, it was definitely um, the Patreon episode. Or was it? it anyway, was. we. Uh, <laughs> or, okay, all right. Two against one. I guess we'll find out in the edit. I guess we will. Maybe. Uh, I, what I if, look forward what some... to getting. I look forward to He's getting that. I was wrong. Text later. I was yeah. going to say I'm going to put it in this episode. He's going to drop it's it in this episode. Like, so it becomes true. Here's the thing: if that didn't require a lot of like cross cutting and stuff, I wouldn't put it past him. But since it's going to require a lot more editing work, I don't know that he'll do it. Now he's going to do it just to spite me. Look at that face. Okay. He's going to do it just no. to spite me now. No, but... Stephen, I'm just going to let you do the editing from now on, since you think it's so easy, oh, dude. Since you think it's so easy. No, I've 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 edited a couple episodes for you when you weren't able to, if you if you recall. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Conveniently forgotten that? Okay. I suppose so, I guess. Uh, the, the, I, like I say about uh, a Book of Shadows, that I, you can see a lot of potential in this movie, especially in the first two acts. I think it really shows you what kind of movie it's trying to be mm-hmm. and what it's trying to do. And then the third act, even though some of it is fun, like uh, I, I did like how over the top some of the stuff was, but it, it just kind of, it really what's the word I'm looking for? It, it, it kind of betrays the rest of the film mm-hmm. in a way. Um, and I, I think for this one, it's, it's disappointing because I kind of, I kind of liked what it seemed like they were trying to do as opposed to what we got, though. I still had a good time with it. It's still like, I'm still on the, on the positive side of indifferent for this film. Yeah. No. I oh shit I forgot to talk alternate endings um I meant to Ooh, do yeah let me tell me about all that stuff um so there are like I think three alternate at least three maybe four alternate endings my favorite is the second one which is the shortest one and it ends immediately after um the sister Claire's sister uh played by Kristen Cloak uh opens the watch from her sister and like they're having kind of an emotional moment and uh, Kelly's phone starts to ring and she reaches for it, goes, Oh, that's probably my f- parents. And then you see the caller ID and it's Kyle's phone number, um, which tells you that, and which tells you that the killers are still alive. They're still out there. And then you kind of zoom out of the window and it's very reminiscent of the original film. It's got that ambiguity set mm-hmm. you up for a potential sequel, like all that stuff that you would normally see. Um, and then so that that's my favorite of the endings. Just it's short, sweet. It gets out. You kind of leaves you with that oh no kind of feeling. Um, all the other ones like are kind of variations on this one. 
like a couple of them, Billy gets like very badly burned, gets taken to the hospital. Um, in one of them, the sister is asked to identify Agnes's body. And when she gets down to the morgue, it's, uh, it's her sister's body. It's cl- like someone's put her Claire's body in there and they were like, Oh, well this wasn't like that. Where's the body that was actually in this bag. And then you cut back and we get the scene with Agnes and Kelly as it plays out in the original film. Um, and, and then I think in the third one, it's almost exactly the same, except you get the burned Billy actually dying on the table. Hmm. Um, like, so there's a slight variations on the original um, with this one. Of course, obviously Billy comes back and gets impaled by a Christmas tree, but you know, it's, this is a slasher movie. He can brush that off. No problem. Come back for the next movie. Like that's, that's kind of what these movies do. Like Michael Myers laying dead on the ground and then you cut away and then he's gone. So you know, that, that kind of stuff happens with these all the time. So, um, but yeah, kind of some different endings that they kind of toyed with. I prefer the, the really short one that kind of leaves you with that again, kind of ringing phone and it's dance of the sugar plum fairies, which is itself kind of this very eerie ethereal. Yeah. Yeah. It's not quite as like, it's not tubular bells quite, but it's, it's, it's Mm -hmm. right in, it's in that wheelhouse a little bit. Yeah. Kind of Tchaikovsky kind of, yeah. So like, I don't know, like, how do we feel about the ending as it exists? What do we do? Do we want, do we think one of those other alternate endings plays a little better? Like I've given my thought on it. What, what do you guys think of those? All right, we'll start with you. I think um, the way it plays out in, in the like final version where um, our final girl kills, I believe it's the sister who kills Agnes with the defibrillator. And then no, that's Kelly. Kelly it's kelly okay because agnes snaps sister's neck yes that's right that's right so our final girl killing the killers is much more like the slashers we know right when we get to the year 2006 mm-hmm. so um i think if you hadn't seen the original 1974 you would be really surprised and maybe unhappy with that ending of the phones ringing and we just zoom out. I think fans of the 74 version maybe would have really liked that, but I think maybe they were playing to their audience in 2006. Um, that makes sense. I don't feel super strongly about it either way. Okay. Yeah. Run on Tucker thoughts. I think the, the ending that is in the film, I, I kind of love it and hate it equally because i think it goes on too long i don't think it's necessary like i said i think it kind of betrays a lot of uh the rest of the film but at the same time it is kind of cool like i can't (laughs) take that away from them because like you get to that hospital and about 30 seconds after you get there you're like yeah this shit is not over yeah like we're gonna do some shit and like you kind of get excited about it. Like I was at the same time, I was like, oh fuck, we're doing this, but also, oh fuck, we're doing this, you know? Right. Like, and right Agnes gets both killed, at the same time. Gets the gets the uh, Emma Roberts and Scream 4 death with the defib- defibrillator to the head. Kinda. And if, if I did think of that when I saw that, but if I can talk about Agnes for just a second, uh yeah. the actor that plays uh Agnes as an adult is a man. Mm-hmm. And it was very confusing the first it wasn't even the first reveal because I thought that was just uh, Billy. Yeah. With long hair. Right. And that's and why I texted you guys a... all confused. I was like, yeah. 
wait, Billy's a woman now? Some what? Wait, what's happening? I was so confused when like they laid all that out. I don't know if I wasn't paying attention well enough, and I kind of I don't really understand their their choice in in having a man play Agnes because it's very clearly, very clearly a man. I well, think- Tucker, don't you know that masculine women are terrifying? I, I, I guess. But no, so no, but that's, that's not a masculine woman, though. That's a straight up man. <laughs> I know. And I, lots of horror movies do that, where if they want a woman to be terrifying, they cast a man. Right. And I think that can be quite problematic. And what it says in our society thinks about femininity versus masculinity and how yep. women are supposed to look. So if you want mm. your woman to be immediately terrifying, cast a man, see Zelda in Pet Cemetery, mm. see Mother in Barbarian. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm not thinking of a hundred other examples, but well, and see, that- like with that stuff, it's they're under a lot of makeup where it's almost like a special effect. Like with this movie, they did it's just a dude with long hair, and yeah. they're saying, "Hey, that's Agnes." I'm like. Is it though? Like five think, o'clock shadow. Right, I think yeah. this guy's yeah. name's Dean. I think. Yes. Like, yeah. Dean Friss. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the. I just lost my thought. Damn it! I hate it when that happens. <laughs> um, I oh, I think part of it is the confusion that you initially had. Like they want you to think it's Billy until it's clear that it's not. Um, but again, I don't know that the real the reveal on that is handled particularly well. And maybe that was something again, because the the reintroduction of Billy into the film was something that was intended as um, I mean, that was something that was added later by the producers. That wasn't something that was initially part of the script. It was always ever supposed to be just Agnes. And then we add. But then still, why do we cast her as man? Maybe because we want people to think that she's Billy right up until we reveal that she's not. Well, and there there are ways to do that. Well, if you you can cast a man, it's stuff like like in a sleepaway camp, right? A lot of the times when you see the killer, since you're not seeing their face or anything, it is played by a man mm-hmm. because like they're trying to like it's they're trying to make it seem like a scary a big scary person, right? And you the find Mr. out Rock it's this you. you find out it's this little girl. Well. It's a little boy, but you know, you've seen Sleepaway Camp. You know what I mean? You know, the uh, they, they Camp, use right. like a, a, a guy to play the killer when you don't see Angela's face. Right. And they could have done that in this movie until the reveal. But I feel like there's. You, I don't I know. I really it's don't like, think if, they thought about it that much. I really just think they went masculine woman equals scary. Yeah. Let's go. And I'm saying, like, if you're trying to say something with that, then yeah, that's cool. Or if you're trying to make it a plot point, yeah, that's cool. But it's not doing any of those things. No, it's not. No. I agree. I think they didn't think about it enough. Yeah. And I and it's one of the things that I think dates this movie the most yes. as a result is, yeah, we're kind of like stuck in this place where you're like, oh, that's kind of not a great look. Like, mm, that's a problem for mm-hmm. sure. So, yeah, I just thought that was weird. I don't, I don't get it. But that's, I'm gonna remember it. That's coming mm-hmm. off this movie. I'm gonna be like, remember that one time it was a dude, but it was Agnes. Do you remember that? Remember that movie? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I remember. I remember Agnes. Um, 
This movie, uh, much to the consternation of religious people everywhere, uh, came out on Christmas Day, 2006. And boy, howdy, did Christians think that was not okay? Because how dare you celebrate the birth of Jesus by releasing a scary movie? Um, something that had clearly apparently never been done in the history of anything ever. Psych, it absolutely had. But yeah, I don't understand why they were upset about it. It ended up hamstringing this movie, though, because um, nobody wants to see a movie set at Christmas after Christmas. Uh, so you basically get like a day or two when this movie is going to make a lot of money and then not much. And the box office absolutely reflects that this movie opens on December 25th. As of the weekend of the 29th, it is opening at 13th place in the box office. It earns over the course of that weekend, that post Christmas weekend, it earns about 3.7 million over the course of the previous days. It earns about 10.9. So by the end of its initial weekend, it's earned 10.9 million uh, and then by the end of its theatrical run, it's earned 16.2 million. So it multiplies not at all. Like it is like this movie kind of its box office run kind of ages like milk, um, which is to say not at all. It makes about almost twice as much of that just in DVD sales alone. Mm-hmm. So it, it does not do very well. No real um, international numbers to speak of on this one. Uh, opening at number one or not opening like this is the highest rated new movie that came out this weekend but at number one is a more fam- family friendly fair uh, a little film called night at the museum uh, what if what if we went to the museum at night um, in second place um, the uh, the slap king himself will smith in the pursuit of happiness at number two up from number three the week before uh in third place opening wide for the first time is dream girls uh paramount's big uh attempt at uh an oscar play that year and uh, a, really, a really good eddie murphy performance yeah jennifer yeah. hudson's oscar winning role absolutely uh in fourth place the remake of charlotte's web uh with oh, dakota yeah. fanning and a bunch of famous people as the uh as the animals you know, I, I wanted to see that, but the thought of someone besides the guy from Bye Bye Birdie playing Templeton just didn't appeal to me. Yeah, it's um, uh, Paul Lind. Yeah, that's who does that. Yeah. Um, God, I love Paul Lind. What a what He's a great. They don't they don't make him like that anymore. And then in fifth no. place, a movie I actually saw in theaters and then never thought about again. Uh, a Robert De Niro directed film called The Good Shepherd, starring Matt Damon. Um have not thought about that movie in ages uh rounding out the top 10 you've got rocky balboa aragon we are marshall happy feet and the holiday and then yeah i saw rocky balboa at the theater that doesn't surprise me yeah a return to form for the series (laughs) only to be immediately squandered (laughs) in the following films Um, no the creed movies are really oh no no i'm sorry goofy I was thinking, of, the thinking Rambo of Rambo. Movies, so I was, that's what I was thinking of. I was thinking of Rambo. Yeah, there's only two of um, those that are worth watching. And then um, in between the holiday and uh, Black Christmas, you've got Blood Diamond and Casino Royale. Blood Diamond, another movie I saw in theaters that year. And that's got the Leonardo DiCaprio's in it. Doing that weird South African accent. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, well. Uh, the Tomatometer score on this movie is a 14%. That's not fair. The critics consensus a gratuitous remake of the 1974 slasher. Black Christmas pumps out the gore and blood with zero creativity. 
humor or visual flair to which I will say, are we watching the same movie? How uh, dare you? Oh, I'm so cool. I can shit on 2000s horror. Like, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> have a unique thought. Yeah, like, I think this movie actually does have a decent amount going on visually. Maybe not in the reshoots, mm-hmm. but you can tell, like, the stuff that Morgan is shooting. He's, again, he's got a style. Um, yeah. He's doing, it, he's doing stuff. Like, come on. You can criticize stuff in this movie, but, like, do it right. better. Yeah. Do better, yeah. critics. Do better. <laughs> Um, the meta score on this one generally unfable. It's a 22 based on the critics reviews of uh, seven different critics. And uh, finally, the letterbox score on this is a 2.6. Ari, as our guest, how many stars out of five are you going to give 2006's Black Christmas? I don't want to contradict my letterboxed. I mean, we so, do it all okay. the time. Steven does it all the time. I, do. I don't, I can't. Especially after that. talking about them, because he'll do his letterbox yeah. before we talk about it, and then we talk about it, and he's like, you know what? It was kind of good. It deserves an extra half star. Yeah, Brett will do that, it's too. Goes, we, yeah. we do that on the show all the time, so don't don't sweat it. If it's this different... Is- this is one of my most logged movies on Letterboxd. Like, it's always, like, one of my most watched. All right. Um, and I give it three and a half. Okay. I think it's pretty good. I stand by that. Right on. Tucker, what about you? Uh, I am going to give it a 2.75 because like I say, I am I am on the positive side of indifferent on this one. There's some stuff that I really liked. There was some stuff that I really didn't. Um, it's probably not going to be something that's going to be put in my regular rotation, but uh, it might pass by my eyes again at some point. I could see that happening. So 2.75. Right on. It's a two for yeah. me, but you know, given the kind of my my general feeling about this kind of movie. Um, I don't think that should be too surprising. It did go up from my last watch, which was, I think a 1.5. So it is, it did uh, appreciate a little bit in this rewatch, but I don't know that it would appreciate much higher than that. Um, Like I said, there's, there's some stuff in here that is, it is, it's definitely not the worst movie I've ever seen. Um, But is it, is it going to be like uh, a favorite of my, for sure, not even close to the worst movie we've discussed on this podcast. Um, But, you know, is it going to be one that I'm going to, I'm going to come back to? Probably not. Probably not. Unless I just decide. What is the worst movie you've discussed on this podcast? Food Fight. Okay. Food Fight. Allegedly, I haven't seen that one. You've not seen it, which I I feel like you need to watch. I feel like we need to do a Patreon commentary of us watching Food Fight so you can see it for the first time. <laughs> Except Brett will probably just magically not show up for that episode. He'll get stuck in the attic again. Yeah, yeah. because that movie stuck is... stuck in the supermarket for that one. It's like the animation didn't get completely finished and like one of the characters just changes from skimpy costume to skimpy costume multiple times throughout the movie with no explanation because the guy who tried i mean and it's it's an obvious cash grab it's like all the worst things about all these hollywood trends that we've discussed crammed into one movie and it's it is deplorable it's so bad it's on youtube if you ever want to watch it but i don't recommend it it's it's awful it's absolutely terrible my vote is a tie between the transformers movie uh, the animated one and um, the Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. I was going to say, I knew, I knew the Chipmunk adventure was going to be there for Those you. Those two, you, just you, garbage. You didn't show up for that episode out of protest. I refused so. to talk about it. It was so bad. You That's... did. Well, right. because a lot of the stuff just made me uncomfortable. And I knew if I talked about it for an hour and a half, I was just going to have a bad time. So it's a very uncomfortable movie. 
It is very upsetting. I, 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 I will not. And I they mean, don't think it is when they were making it. They're like, this is great. Yeah. And here we are in 2023. Like, Oh no. Yeah. And it's one of those, like we had the guests on movie. for that episode and like, it was what our friend Bex and hope from, um, uh, from high on cartoons. cartoons. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's one of, it's a movie that Bex grew up with and they absolutely love the movie. And, uh, so they're like, I don't, I can't defend any of this. Mm-hmm. They're, they're saying like, everything you guys are saying is right. I just, this is, hits all the nostalgia buttons for me. Yeah. And sometimes I, it just is that yeah. way. That's yeah. fair. And, and like yeah, they sometimes. were, they were very honest, like can't mm-hmm. defend it. Um, by the way, we are recording this on our friend Hope Lickner's birthday. Happy birthday, Hope. Happy birthday, Hope. And uh, yeah, that I think is our episode on uh, 2006's Black Christmas. Ariel Powers Schaub, thank you for slumming it with us today. (laughs) It has been an absolute delight. I'm always slumming it. It's (laughs) literally, Ari, any time, any time at all. Like I said, consummate podcast guest. Our doors are open to you. Any, if you, Come up with a movie that you're like, hey, I want to talk about it. Just drop me a line. Just be like, hey, did you know X was supposed to get a sequel? Or have you guys covered this yet? And if we haven't, you're you're on the list. So sorority row, put me down. I I'm I. It, you think I'm joking? You're on the list, and I'm gonna try <laughs> to figure out a way to do that within the next year. Okay. But I I love your work. Oh, other thanks. people, and I think after listening to this, other people will want to seek out your work as well if they don't already know you from the Pod and the Pendulum. I'm going to be real honest. Most of our listeners probably come from Pod and the Pendulum. But if they're in, or if for some reason they're not listening to the Pod and the Pendulum, hey, they should be. But tell us where we can find you. Where, what are your socials? Where can we find your work? Like, tell us about yeah. what you got going on. You can find me in the walls of your house, lurking, <laughs> waiting, eating eyeballs. She do um, love those wall people, though. I do love wall people. Um, and you can find me on socials all across the board at Ari underscore Hellraiser. I'll have links to all my writing and podcasting there. Definitely check out Ghouls Magazine at ghoulsmagazine.com. It's a UK-based horror publication that looks at horror through the female perspective. And there's lots of free content there and some paid content as well. So definitely check that out and um, catch me in your walls. Absolutely. I get it, ghouls, because like girls, like boys and girls, yeah. boils and ghouls. I that's fantastic. And and our logo is like sort of, you know, the stripper silhouette and girls, girls, girls. Mm-hmm. It's that, but it's ghouls, 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 and she's holding a knife. It's very Love good. It. Nice. Yes. Love it. Nice. That's amazing. No, uh, absolutely check out all of Ari's work. And, and again, in regular rotation on Pod and the Pendulum as well, those episodes are always straight bangers. Uh, if you've not listened to the Saw series, I know I've talked about it on this podcast before. You're absolutely missing out. It's some absolute i think mike would even attest maybe some of the best episodes that pod and pendulum has ever put out it was a really good team effort it, i i legitimately watched the saw movies because of how great they made them sound and because i needed to get on there to talk about at least one <laughs> of those episodes yeah. i was like i've got to get in here like i want to talk about this movie with these people because this is so much fun and i did so saw six yes but yeah absolutely and no, that was the one where i cried yeah, yeah. One, the only time I've cried on a podcast. That, that was one something. was that one was wild. Top to that bottom. Was a, for, that was actually, yeah, that was a wild one. But for for anyway. reasons we can and cannot discuss, that one was yep. wild. Yep. Um, but yeah, so uh, absolutely check that one out. Um, it is uh, 
oh god such a pleasure Ari oh thanks for having me oh no thanks for doing it really like I I'm always amazed when any anyone wants to come on this podcast and honestly <laughs> the fact that you stuck around after that what are we watching aces <laughs> no all it's the way. all good all fun fun way to spend a Sunday for me right on Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you again for for joining us. We are the Disenfranchised Podcast. You can find us on uh, Blue Sky and we're not on Twitter. It's it's Blue Sky, Letterboxd, Instagram and Facebook at Disenfranchpod. Join our Patreon for five bucks a month. You can get access to our weekly What Are We Watching? Ariel was on the most recent episode that dropped this past Sunday. You can find that plus like 29 other episodes, plus commentaries, plus episodes of shows that we record specifically for patreon like oops all video game corner oops all christianity corner um the uh, disenfranchised unenfranchised all of that like literal days of content behind the paywall for just five dollars a month at uh, patreon.com slash disenfranchpod head on over there and join us please and thank you you can send us an email disenfranchpod at gmail.com Uh, Additionally, while you're out surfing the internet, swing on by Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Leave us a nice, big, fat, juicy five-star rating and review. Let everyone know that you love us and why you love us, and we'll love you for as long as we can. Um, And uh, I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy. You can find me on Blue Sky Instagram and Letterboxd at Chewy Walrus. Uh, You can find the absent Brett Wright. Uh, at sus underscore warlock on Instagram and Letterboxd or at sus warlock, no underscore on Blue Sky. Tucker, where can we find you, sir? As always, you can find me on the Instagrams and the YouTubes at ice909. That's I-C-E-N-I-N-E, the number zero and the number nine. Uh, Also, of course, there's always Tuck Mugs on Instagram. That's a place people go sometimes to look at mugs. Um, by the time this episode drops, there will be a new Tuck Mugs post. It's going to have, that's a guarantee. That's a Tuck Mugs guarantee. The whole team's with me on this. <laughs> Is this we like coffee our, mugs? We yeah. got, yes, we got in a circle this morning and put all our hands in the middle and <laughs> we said Tuck Mugs on three. One, two, three. Everybody was there, all of our writers and, and social media curators. Um, we're really pulling together as a team. Uh, still, though, we need guest mugs. We need people to send in mugs. That's tuck underscore mugs. Check out the format. Basically, you take a photo of a mug, and then you tell the origin story of the mug and what that mug means to you. And then you tell us what's in the mug. That's fun. I'm looking at it right now. Let's get this some guest fun. mugs. Everybody send me guest mugs at disenfranchpod at gmail. Not at, I'm sorry. Disenfranchpod at gmail.com. There it is. There it is. Send them to me. And I will put them up. And we will, we will, and by we, I mean Tucker, we'll get those up. Um, and and there will be Tucker, much rejoicing. I, by Tucker, I mean me. But yeah, um, yeah. we'll, we'll. <laughs> Don't don't show behind the curtain, Stephen. I got a whole bit I got to do. Come I on, know. man. You don't, got you got your it. bit that you run into the ground week after week, and we don't we love kill you for my it. Bit. I would never. I'm enhancing the bit by making it funny. Um, <laughs> LOL. Such Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Is he joking? Is he joking? Anyway, you know, that's that, the fun part. That has been our episode on Black Christmas. Join us next week for our discussion on the 2019 
second remake, also aptly titled Black Christmas. Um, I'm psyched. I'm psyched to see it. It's going to be a time. Um, again, this has been the Disenfranchised Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Foxworthy, for my co-host, uh, Tucker, the absent Brett Wright, and our very special guest, Ariel Powers Shab. Until next time, you'll be doing right with your Christmas white, but I'll have a black, 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 black Christmas.